The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sportbox Monday Mayhem. U.S. markets staged their biggest intraday comeback since the depths of the financial crisis, with dramatic swings of more than a thousand points each way for the Dow. But Asian equities failed to follow that rebound, the Nikkei hitting a two-year low, while U.S. futures also point to renewed selling pressure at the open. Credit Suisse issues a profit warning, saying it expects to roughly break even in the fourth quarter after taking a hit from litigation costs of around half a billion Swiss francs. And the Kremlin accuses the US and its allies of ratcheting up tensions over Ukraine as Washington puts thousands of troops on high alert. And NATO sends ships and jets to the region ahead of Normandy format talks today. One down, several to go. Italian lawmakers failed to agree on a new president in the first round of voting after a majority of voters cast blank ballots with a second round scheduled for today. So just as we're coming to air, we have uh, fresh news from Credit Suisse this morning. Uh, You'll remember it wasn't too many days ago when we were talking about the departure of the chairman and a replacement coming in, Axel Lehman taking up that position after Antonio Horta Asario left uh, because of inappropriate travel during the pandemic. Well, it may be the new chairman wanting to have a closer look at the books to do a little bit of uh, uh, spring cleaning, or it may be that Credit Suisse was already working through the implications of higher litigation charges. We're not quite sure at this point. Hopefully we'll find out in the fullness of time. But what we do know here is that this is a warning on profits from Credit Suisse. Effectively, the group now reporting that they expect a higher litigation provision of 500 million Swiss francs. Now they say uh, that is partly offset by some gains in real estate sales of 225 million uh, Swiss francs. But ultimately, this additional litigation provision uh, will result in uh, effectively uh, the group um, breaking even uh, in the fourth quarter in terms of profitability. So. There was already the matter of the 1.6 billion Swiss franc goodwill impairment that the group has already flagged up here. But ultimately, this uh, additional uh, 500 uh, million provision now for litigation charges will ultimately mean, as they say, that the group will approximately break even for the fourth quarter of 2021. Uh, the group says um, no concerns about the capital position. CT1 ratio is expected to exceed the group's ambition of 14%. The year-end 2021 tier one leverage ratio is expected to exceed 6%. We will get a fuller report and an update on these fourth quarter and full year numbers uh, when we get the 
formal results announcement on Thursday, February the 10th. But for the time being, of course, this just adds to concerns that the uh, bank is still trying to find the right gear. And ultimately, Karen, I would suspect here that Axel Lehman coming in basically said, look, I don't want any surprises in these fourth quarter numbers. Um, We've had enough embarrassing stories here at Credit Suisse over the last 18 months. Go through the books, make sure it's clean, and let's uh, put everything out on the table on February the 10th, and then we can build from there. So interesting that they're saying that ultimately it'll be a break-even set of numbers for this fourth quarter. Which highlights the stock market reaction every time there is a a fresh scandal, fresh news that breaks and the market sells off. And instead of seeing a rebound on on some developments we saw last time around uh, with the the news around the chairman's departure, the market just took fright. And I think that just highlights the issues that there could be more kitchen sinking, there could be more bad news to come, that investors don't have a clean slate to work with and they don't know the re-entry point. So I think the numbers today are just confirmation of that news flow and that stock market reaction. Now, I'm going to push on to Ericsson. We've had numbers crossing out from the telecom equipment maker. This is uh, its fourth quarter numbers. It seems better than expected. Now, Group Organic Sales grew by 2% year over year. You had an expectation in the market that you may have seen shrinkage, that even though this is low single-digit growth, a fall, a slight fall was anticipated in some quarters. Sales in mainland China declined uh, as anticipated in minus 1.8 billion, that is minus three percentage points. Don't forget the company has been dealing with market share issues there, some of the backlash uh, out there around Huawei. Uh, this means that uh, ex-mainland though, uh, those ex-mainland China sales would, would have actually been to the tune of five percent. So there is that drag impact from the Chinese market. Now reported sales coming through are higher than anticipated from the market expectations. The numbers today, 71.3 Swedish kroner. Gross margin improved, and this looks better than the uh, about roughly 43% anticipated. We've got 43.5% across all segments, extra structuring charges. So that does look to be slightly better. The reported gross margin, 43.2. So the company, uh, just pointing to uh, what it is seeing on these different metrics here, and when it comes to net income, that is reported at 10.1 Swedish kroner. EPS diluted at 3.02 Swedish kroner. So we are seeing uh, some news flow here around the uh, increases over the full year. The company highlighting that sales growing 4% with an increase in network sales of 7%. The company's uh, loss of market share in China is something they uh, they mentioned they're still contending with. And we'll get into that with the CEO as well. But uh, the 5G journey here, whether it's starting to Uh, steer the business in the right direction, of course, has been one of the big questions for the marketplace. So we will be digging into that with the CEO, Boya Erkholm, when he joins us a little bit later, 7.45 CET. So was it the plunge protection team that we always used to talk about back in the old days? uh, Or was it that the market decided that the, uh, the put the so-called Greenspan put that became the Bananke put that has now become the the new put uh, for Jay, that that was in place. And ultimately, we had that magical rebound, that U-shaped bounce for the markets here. Whatever conspiracy you hold on to or whether you believe it was ultimately just a reflection of the fact that 56% of Americans, 145 million Americans own stock, 
and stocks falling is not a good look for the wealth of the average American. Um, maybe that was part of the reason why. But whatever happened here, we were heading for probably the worst beginning to a year since 1920. And then we had something of a comeback. And boy, what a comeback it was from that near 4% low for the S&P 500. And it will perhaps embolden some to think that there is an opportunity to play the bounce here. But the early look at the futures suggests that we might have a little bit more weakness to come. Anyway, Wall Street staging then a dramatic rally on Monday's session. Equities coming off a heavy loss to end the session in the green, the S&P 500 then posting its biggest intraday comeback since November of 08, having briefly entered correction territory before closing up 12 points and breaking a four-day losing streak. Very important to look at where the movement in these markets was because we did have a broad recovery across the indices. Look, your growth, your Nasdaq up six-tenths of one percent. And as you can see, we were just about into positive territory for both of these broader market indices, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. But As we look towards this Federal Reserve meeting, there continue to be worries about the Fed and its signalling on interest rates and ultimately what that means for the technology stocks. So let's have a look at some of the individual tech movers and see who managed to catch the bounce and who didn't. And I think that tells you actually that the market is still being very discriminating when it comes to its view of which of these technology companies has the kind of business model that will continue to support the operations and the revenue stream in the event that we get a slowing in the US economy from higher interest rates. And the market's uh, been drawing its own conclusions, as you can see here, with Microsoft, Alphabet and Amazon all ending in positive territory. Netflix just can't catch a break after concerns being expressed around the numbers on subscriber numbers here. And interesting that Tesla, which has been relatively Teflon, I think, in some of these pullbacks, actually down nearly 1.5% here. The VIX, if my colleague Mr Sedgwick was here, we'd be arguing about what the VIX actually implies at this point. We don't need to get into the weeds on it, but I think what you can see here from the spike is either the uh, VIX reacting to the fear or signalling ultimately that higher levels of fear are going to be around with us for a a little bit longer. So we've got a a jump in the uh, VIX, which represents that uptick in volatility, of course. We're sitting at 29 spot 90. Um, There was some money that went back into the uh, treasuries as a result of uh, what we saw here. And traditionally, you would anticipate that your um, treasuries would represent something of a safe haven, if I can use that terminology, when you do get a selling day. Um, if you have a look, though, at um, what happened as we came through that rebound, we actually saw some money leaving the fixed income market yet again. Explains probably why we're sitting around that one spot, seven six level on the 10-year note. Again, the markets are trying to understand what is coming down the pipe from the Federal Reserve. And both equities and bonds are adjusting 
their expectations and that's why we've got a lot of price movement here. So the US futures, I mentioned that the early look here is negative and that would suggest that there is still uh, quite a bit more selling pressure in the market but given what we saw yesterday uh, Karen, uh, who knows at, at this stage, when we get a little closer to the trade, we'll have to see if there's much movement. I love the way, though, that uh, just watching the, uh, the early morning uh, business coverage uh, on the market coverage, uh, we're getting lots of post-fact rationalization now about how it's the oil price. Finally, people have woken up to higher energy costs and the impact on inflation, second round effects on the labor market. And now we've realized that Ukraine is hot and it's a, it's a real geopolitical issue that you need to reprice. I don't really buy any of it because to be quite frank, all of these stories have been around for a few weeks now, but I think uh, the, the, the issue of the repricing of uh, interest rates and uh, markets, I think, is the key one, and we knew it was going to be choppy. I just didn't think uh, anybody expected the kind of turnaround from a 4% loss that we saw yesterday. Yeah, we've had the volatility in the markets, though, haven't we? It just got all compressed into one session, the intraday trading. Uh, the question is whether this is buying the rumour, selling the fact type of market behaviour and whether we settle down after the Fed this week. I think that's what some market participants may be looking for. Everyone's just jumping at shadows at this point, and you cite all the different reasons from Omicron to geopolitics to the Fed. And let's just see which one of those sticks when we get past the Fed. But I want to take you to the crypto market because it was not immune. And every time we talk about losses in the technology sector, Crypto seems to be dragged lower as well. And effectively, at its worst yesterday, we saw Bitcoin uh, trading down again. It was another that three odd percent off, which meant it lost about to half of its value in about two and a half months. And you can see morning session, it is still tracking a little bit weaker, picking up some of that territory now down one and a half percent on Bitcoin. The other ones all tracking a fraction weaker, as you can see, from Ether to Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash. Let's move on to the oil market. As you mentioned, Jeff, there was a lot of focus then. We did see oil prices track lower in that volatility yesterday, about 2 odd percent coming off some of these spot prices. But morning session, they are moving back in the opposite direction, putting on some green. 86.85 on Brent, uh, 86.91 now, 83.75 earlier now, 83.81. So it is uh, slowly creeping higher in this morning session. And to the European boards, we've mentioned how resilient we've been across on this side of the pond. Uh, some of that volatility has hit the Wall Street trade in, in various sessions. But I've got to say, it did not look all that resilient yesterday. Very sharp moves to the downside that we witnessed. Uh, the FTSE giving up those higher ranges. I mean, we've seen 7.6, 7,500 on these boards in recent times. And you can see plunging below 7,300. Only just holding on to 15,000 points on the DAX. So a very hefty fall of 3.8%. Uh, and all this as we got some PMIs that have crossed, don't forget, yesterday, giving us a window into the health of the, the European markets and European economies. Uh, the French market uh, down, whopping near on 4% as well. So very strong reversal that we saw then across to Italy as well. So let's just see whether we pick up much of that action in the trade today and uh, whether it does hold that fund managers are willing to pivot to this part of the world and uh, that provides some resilience for markets. But in the meantime, let's get over to Dan Murphy, who's going to run us through some of that action on the Asian markets as a result of the market volatility stateside. Dan, good morning. Hi there, Karen. Well, the reversal, the handbrake U-turn that we saw on Wall Street, certainly not enough to stoke optimism across the Asia marketplace throughout the trading day today. Really interesting to see reaction across a number of large indices all getting sold off. 
as a result of a multitude of concerns. I know you've been talking about the geopolitical risk premia that's in the market right now with tensions between Russia and Ukraine coming back into the fold. But look, at the same time as well, there's also concern about what the Fed is actually going to say this week and whether or not they're going to be able to push forward with this hawkish tilt when it comes to the narrative while also avoiding further selling in risk assets. So that's what we saw playing out across the Asian trading day today. Couple of pointers for you. First to the Nikkei 225, which was down around 2% here. Auto and tech stocks getting sold off across the board and the Nikkei falling to its lowest level since December of 2020. At the same time, the Hang Seng down as much as 2% through the session. Mainland markets in China also suffering significant losses after China warned on risks to its own recovery. And the ASX in Australia was another significant mover here, also down as much as 3% through the course of the session, but recovering slightly, you see there, not before banks, miners, and oil stocks all tumbled across the board. We saw an inflation read out of Australia today, inflation up 1.3% in the fourth quarter, 3.5% for the year. So investors down under reacting to a global theme there. The other one to point out is Singapore's central bank, which also unexpectedly tightened monetary policy today, again, reacting to concerns around rising inflation. I'll leave you with a quick look at what happened across the currency marketplace as well. Particularly interesting move into safe haven plays here. And we've seen the yen getting bid off the back of this. So up across the board against the US dollar, euro and sterling. With that, it's back over to you. Terrific, Dan. Thank you so much for that. Let's bring in uh, Roloff Andanaka, Senior Technical Analyst at ING. Roloff, good morning to you. What a remarkable day yesterday for these markets. You've obviously been delving into the technicals. Um, let's kick off with the NASDAQ. As you look at the chart, what is it telling you about the next phase for this market? Is the weakness here to stay or do we have a reversion day here that suggests a base is now being built for this market? Yeah, what I would say based on, um, on yesterday's price action, we saw a low at uh, 13,725 and then we rallied back up almost 800 points and closed at um, uh, 14,509. And that's promising because that means that prices hold above the horizontal support level at 14,435. And that's promising. That looks like a reversal pattern. And I would say we have at least the, um, the development of a, of a low at 13,725, um, but not the bottom in this correction. So I would say a rally um, in the next few days this week or, or this week uh, towards the 200-day exponential moving average line at 14,949. And possibly if prices could recapture this, uh, this moving average line, we could uh, even see a rally towards uh, 15,600. But still, we are looking for the development of a, of a lower high. That's interesting. How, how sustainable do you think the uh, rebound will be? Um, I, I, I don't think it will be, that it won't be sustainable. And it's only short-lived. Because if we look from, it, um, from its highs around uh, these um, uh, 15,000, 16,600 level. We saw uh, an almost uh, 2,900 drop in prices. And if we have a, a lower top, now let's say around uh, 15,600, if this is the lower top and we will see a typical ABC correction move, um, then we have the first leg down, that's 2,900 points lower. 
then a reaction, and then another possibly uh, 2,900 points lower from this uh, lower top around uh, 15,600. And that suggests uh, a decline towards the next uh, uh, target price of around uh, 12,700. And that's uh, close to the next solid horizontal support below the horizontal support level at 14,435. So um, short-lived development of a lower top and then the possibility of another sharp drop lower of 2,900 points. Rolf, can you just contextualize the developments yesterday, the fact that all this volatility was intraday and not spread across sessions? Does that make any difference to the direction on the charts? Um, I think it it's a, was a kind of capitulation yesterday. Uh, we had a, almost um, a non-stop uh, decline from its highs around 16,600. So it's, it's normal and uh, markets are not uh, moving in one straight line in one direction. So it's normal that yesterday's uh, strong rally from its lows of around 800 points um, could be the beginning of a reversal. But I think it's not enough to um, to make this bottom. And based on the next Fed meeting, it's very interesting, I believe, that the markets are forcing the Fed to make a firmly statement instead of the other way around. So I think this, the decision of the Fed, whatever it may be, will be short-term supportive for stocks, and that could uh, could uh, could be uh, the reason of the rally uh, for a very short-term basis. The market has been trying to position around Treasuries as well in recent weeks, given the very changing views around the interest rate story, whether it's a couple of rate hikes, whether it's four or more, and just how quickly we're going to be moving. What's that U.S. Treasury yield looking like to you on the 10-year? Yes, I'm looking at the U.S. Um, uh, T-note uh, today, and uh, particularly the weekly chart. Um, that means that we have a good overview where we are standing on a long-term basis. And if we see this uh, high uh, in 2020, around 136, we have already a lower top, and we made already a lower top uh, last year, uh, around 134.50 around these levels. And we have also a lower um, a top, a lower low uh, below the horizontal support level at 124. That said, we are on a longer term basis in a downtrend. On a short-term basis, prices are finding support at the 200-week exponential moving average line, around 128. We could see a small bounce into the coming days to next few weeks, but very limited. I would say 129.50 uh, to 100, um, 131 or so. That's an equivalent of 160 basis points in a 10-year yield. But I'm looking, based on this longer-term downtrend, for a decline uh, towards the solid horizontal support level around 124 uh, in making a bottom and followed by a more sustainable rally uh, um, in the coming weeks to months. Uh, and that's an equivalent of 225 basis points in a 10-year yield. Roloff, thank you so much for the analysis this morning. We'll uh, say goodbye. Roloff Antonaka, Senior Technical Analyst at ING. It's never simple, is it, Italian politics? We've got a stalemate in the race to find a successor to uh, President Mattarella as more than half of Italian lawmakers cast blank ballots in the hunt for the new president. We will be live in Rome shortly.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. President Joe Biden has hailed what he called, quote, a great meeting on the Ukraine crisis last night with Western allies, including French President Emmanuel Macron, Germany's Olaf Scholz, the U.K. Prime Minister Boris Johnson and EU and NATO leaders. The U.S. president said he and European leaders had, quote, total unanimity on the situation as they look to draw up a joint response. Meanwhile, as many as 8,500 US troops have been put on high alert in response to the build-up of Russian soldiers on Ukraine's border. The Pentagon says the move aims to bolster NATO forces in Eastern Europe if needed, but stressed Washington is still seeking a diplomatic solution. The Kremlin accuses the US and its allies of escalating tensions. CNBC has learnt that U.S. senators are close to agreeing a bipartisan sanctions bill. Potential measures could include cutting Russia off from the SWIFT payment transactions network, banning the export of U.S. semiconductors. However, the White House remains reluctant to include the Nord Stream 2 pipeline between Russia and Germany as part of the sanctions bill, saying... It's a matter for Berlin. Let's turn to Italy, where the first round of voting for a new president ended in a stalemate after a slew of more than 1,000 lawmakers cast blank ballots and the largest number of votes for a single candidate came to only 36. This amid disagreement over whether Mario Draghi is the right fit for the top job, since his promotion could shatter Italy's governing coalition. A second ballot to find Sergio Mattarella's successor will be held today. Let's get out to Silvia for more in Rome. Silvia, there were lots of reports around this, lots of editorial around the ramifications of Mario Draghi being elected president in Italy. And one of them really was that uh, some of the fiscal discipline and reform drive may falter, not just for Italy, but also with the blowback to Europe, given the distribution of these EU funds. Just walk us through the challenge that lawmakers have as they try to elect a new president. In fact, there are different ones. We have the challenge of what this election will mean for national politics, what it will mean for the Italian economy, and indeed more broadly, how this might impact fiscal reform across the Eurozone. And I have to say, though, that at this moment in time, we still are unclear on who will be the next president of Italy. As you mentioned, Karen, the first round of voting on Monday ended up with no clear result, with the majority of lawmakers actually voting blank. And that just highlights the division among the main political parties. But perhaps more important than the actual voting is the bilateral meetings that have been taking place. For instance, on Monday we had Salvini, the leader of the anti-immigrant party Lega, and Enrico Letta, the head of the center-left party Partito Democratico, meeting. That meeting is important because without an agreement among the main political parties, 
parties, it will be really hard for Italy to see and to have a new president. These two politicians will be meeting again today. Let's see what will come out of those meetings indeed. But I have to say that one of the big question marks of this election is indeed the future of Mario Draghi. And I had the chance to ask Marcelo Missouri, he's director of the private university, Louis, here in Rome, what would be best for the Italian economy? Mario Draghi remaining as prime minister or becoming its next president? It's very difficult to uh, uh, choose between the two alternatives. Obviously, it would be better to have a continuity uh, 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 at the government level as well as a continuity, an institutional continuity uh, 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 in the presidency of the Republic. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's quite uh, difficult to get uh, the result. Uh, hence, uh, in my view, it would be better to have a stability in the medium-long term. So Missouri there essentially highlighting that it would be best for the Italian economy if Mario Draghi would become its next president because it would bring stability in the medium to longer term. But let's see what will happen in the coming days, Karen. We'll have a second round of voting starting this afternoon. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.